It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanokas. Welcome to our latest episode, which is dedicated to a look forward into Formula One's future. Thanks to his 73 race wins and six world titles since the start of 2014, there can be no doubt that Lewis Hamilton has been the championship's dominant force in recent years. But nothing lasts forever, and although Hamilton remains in discussions with Mercedes about a new contract for 2021 and likely beyond, he will one day leave F1 behind. But there's no shortage of young stars seeking to follow him as F1's dominant force, although it must be said that following Hamilton's lead as a superstar able to bring his fame to billions will be a tough act for anyone to follow. Nevertheless, these young stars hoping to follow in Hamilton's footsteps are the subject of the cover feature in this week's Autosport magazine, and we'll be discussing why we've chosen three in particular and why others were left out in this accompaniment episode. So joining me to do that, first of all, is the author of the feature. It's Autosport's F1 reporter, Luke Smith. And Luke, this is your first Autosport cover feature, I believe. So how are you feeling about that? It's always a proud moment when you when you get to see that. Are you going to be copying the, the you know, the, the lead of several, you know, slightly sad individuals that, that get theirs framed and put it up in their uh, in their dwellings? Um, I can actually see your framed copy of Autosport over your left shoulder. So uh, I, I know you're nice in bottles. <laughs> it's a talking point that no one ever comments on. But of course, of course. Um, I mean, no one's allowed. No one's allowed to come around and see it at the moment. But no, we'll, exactly. We'll I've got. I'll have no one to show it off to. But um, no, I mean, yeah, it's 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 very very cool. I mean, that's something that. Um, I mean, when I first joined Autosport in um, February last year, that it was always. You, 
I mean, it's it's just the it's always been the authority. It's always been the magazine that I think as a kid, if you love motorsport, you read and you want to write for if you want to work in the industry. And yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I grew up sort of wanting one day to work for all sports. So to be doing that was a brilliant, but B to see um, your feature on the cover is amazing. So yeah, no, I'm yeah really really delighted by it and um, hugely grateful for the opportunity and to uh, to have the opportunity to profile three of the young upcoming stars as well i thought that was really really cool really good way to start 2021 so uh yeah feeling pretty buzzed about it it's really cool and uh, the person that gave you that opportunity is autosport's chief editor kevin turner welcome back to the autosport podcast in 2021 kev have you recovered from the uh slightly mad period of all those formula one races finishing late your autosport grand prix editor filing at various ridiculous times when it came to the top 50 and the f1 uh, season review feature we had to do about four magazines in a week that's what it felt like anyway how are you uh yeah i'm fine thanks that was a that was a, a, a lovely sentiment from luke there. i appreciate it. that was nice um yeah no fully recovered from that um had a good had a good break um even did some sort of fun feature writing over christmas when i just absolutely had enough of the kids and needed to do something else um and obviously now because we're into i don't know the 58th lockdown or whatever it is um we are having to deal with them um, the kids being at home all the, all the time but i'm sure there are millions of people in a similar situation at the moment so i'm not gonna not gonna waffle on too much about that well i wouldn't mind if they interrupted you and came on you know like they've seen all those viral clips that of people you know kids marching in and demanding to know what's going on that'd be i'd, I'd welcome that yeah they have invaded a couple of meetings I've been on, but fortunately so far it's not been one that's been recorded or one with anyone that that would be hugely terrible with. But yeah, I'm waiting for the moment where we get where get gate crashed at some point. Um, my son actually quite likes um, racing cars. Um, he actually asked for uh, a, an old racing car book for his next present. Which um, oh my goodness, you must have so many that you could choose from. Which 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 book on the uh, the pre-war German superpower teams are you gonna are you gonna give him, Kev? Well, really, I should I should revert to Type Two Nine, give him something with a Porsche Nine One Seven in it. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know, I don't know if that would uh, pass the test. <laughs> well, uh, well, let's as I said, let's uh, let, let's crack on with the, the topic of this podcast. And the headline for Luke's piece are the Who are the heirs to Lewis Hamilton's? supremacy to his place in formula one um kev obviously you commissioned this piece so i wondered if you could just kick us off with explaining what the sort of thinking behind that is and obviously we've 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 nailed it down to three picks in particular but that does omit two in particular very high profile drivers that you might automatically assume would be in consideration when it comes to who is the most likely driver to succeed hamilton yeah, so I, that's entirely fair. So obviously we've you know, the, the, the cover stars this week, if you like, uh, and, uh, and that Luke has spoken to George Russell, Lando Norris, and Carlos Sainz. Um, I think people's obvious reaction to the heirs to Hamilton, you know, who's going to win the next championship after Hamilton? You, you immediately thought, well, surely it's going to be Max Verstappen, and if not, then you'd like to think it'd be probably Charles Leclerc, one of those two. Um, but my my argument on that was that they're kind of both established. They're kind of already in the mix. Okay, I know the clerks had had the issue of Ferrari have built him a, a terrible car for two years. We're assuming that this year's won't give him a chance to to do that either. But I consider them as established stars now. I don't think anyone's under any illusions that yeah, Max Verstappen is a, certainly good enough to win the world championship. And what I was really trying to aim for was that. It's the, it's the next generation coming through that are going to, they're the next ones that are going to get those chances. Science already kind of has now that he's got that that jump to Ferrari. Okay, they're going to be down this year, but Ferrari always bounce back eventually. It's just a matter of how long really it takes. Um, uh, George Russell, obviously, 
very impressive in his in his one-off race with Mercedes, and I think you'd put your money on him being in a Mercedes in the next year or two. So it could well be that he wins a championship before any of the names we've mentioned so far. And the third driver, obviously, is, is Lando Norris, who perhaps hasn't yet kind of got the heights of you know the, the obvious height that, that Russell had and, and Science, but he's compared very well to Science in two years at McLaren. A really impressive first two years um, in Formula One, probably probably be- better than most you would say across the two years. So. I think there's three obvious drivers that are going to win. And that's kind of another uh, argument for the piece was none of them won a Grand Prix yet. Obviously, Max and, and, and Leclerc have both won multiple Grand Prix. Um, and it also was quite a neat way of excluding you know, Sergio Perez and Pierre Gasly, who, who their stories are different, which I'm sure we'll come to later in the year. So it just it all kind of seemed to make sense to me that they are the three best uh, drivers in Formula One who haven't won a Grand Prix yet, but who almost certainly will do within the next. Well, I don't know. Perhaps throw to throw to you guys as the experts on the ground. Two years in two years, will they all have won a Grand Prix? I think. I think all three of them. That's very difficult. I think, as we'll come on to later, there's a, there's one that stands out above the rest, not because necessarily because of his ability, but because of the circumstances he finds himself in. And that is George Russell because of his ties to Mercedes. Whereas, as you say, Kev, Ferrari have got a hell of a lot of rebuilding to do. And we don't know if 2022 rules are going to close the gap enough for McLaren to mean that Norris can be in contention for victories. You'd like to think it could. And obviously, they're a very, very slick, well-run team. The Honda days are behind them. It's a team on the up, but they need something massive to change. And that's what 2022 hopefully will provide. And obviously, Norris doesn't have a Mercedes link. He is a McLaren driver. Science is already at Ferrari, so it's you got you got to naturally then think logically. Yeah, okay, well that makes sense as Russell as being the most likely to to win a race. He nearly he nearly did already in in Bahrain. You know the Sakir Grand Prix was so close to doing it before uh, for the pit stop and then the puncture ruined it because of course the the, the pit stop was a separate thing. That was you know he still could have won the race even after it. It was just so unfortunate that he that he, that he got that uh, got that puncture. Though uh, Sergio Perez was uh, was adamant that he would have held him off. And um, but Luke, why don't why don't we stay talking about Russell? Because I sort of I wanted to run through the the three contenders uh, in the way that, that it's laid out very well. I thought in the magazine, our uh, our, our designer uh, Michael has done an excellent job, uh, particularly on the Carlos Sainz one because of course we haven't seen him in his full Ferrari kit. He's there. He's sort of he's got you know head and shoulders in McLaren gear, and then there's a sort of tear off. Got Ferrari. 2020 overalls underneath which was a very nice touch so well done to michael there uh, but yeah look let's talk about george russell why why uh, you know I've sort, of, I've sort of explained the circumstances he finds himself in but what what makes him so good as a driver that he's got to be one of the big hopes for the future in terms of leading formula one well i think he has already put himself in that mold of uh, i think well fernando alonso there's been a lot of comparisons to him for when he was at uh, minardi in 2001 and how when he's even given a backmarker car where you can't really sort of show what you can really do, that you're still able to impress, you're still able to routinely outqualify your teammate. He's still never been outqualified by a Williams teammate. The only man to ever outqualify him was Valtteri Bottas, and that was only by a really tiny margin. And a Williams, he's always been, he's always punched so far above his weight, given the limitations of that car and of that team. And had it not been for the mistake under the safety car, um, uh, Imola last year, then he would likely already have a point on the board. And that's all that is really missing. And I think that, um, Alex, I mean, we've spoken about this before, about how the only 
sort of question mark over him was maybe that that lack of points for Williams. But then when he was thrown in the deep end at Mercedes and given that opportunity, and it's just crazy to think that he was in a car that didn't fit him. His race boots were a size too small. The seat wasn't adapted to his body or anything like that. And he was still able to dominate that race and was still on course to win that race a couple of times before, as you said, the, the puncture really took it away. So I think it's it's not only just what he's done at Williams and how he's so far outstripped the qualities of that car, but also in an ultimate high pressure situation, which is taking a driver completely out of their comfort zone, throwing them into, even if it is the most dominant car on the grid and saying, right, you've got to perform and your first time in the car is literally Friday practice on a brand new circuit as well that no one had ever been to before. And you've got to perform and impress. I mean, that's just huge, huge odds to, to try and overcome. And and yet he did it brilliantly. He outclassed Valtteri Bottas comprehensively right the way through um, right the way through that race and was was so, so dominant. And it's that kind of star quality and that performance that really makes you go, oh, hang on a minute here. Like we're on to we're on to a superstar. And I think there's a similar thing. You look at Vettel, 2008, his win at Monza, obviously for, for Toro Rosso and performances right the way through that season. And I, I think you can, yeah, highlight other drivers sort of making that big statement. Um, Lewis Hamilton through his debut season, obviously McLaren, it was a very good team. It was up there with Ferrari that year um, but he still had to perform still up against a two-time world champion in Fernando Alonso and it's that kind of it's that kind of statement and impact that drivers so f- rarely make in F1 but I think the George Russell even if he's only got three points to his name in two seasons I think has already gone a long way to making and showing that he's uh, he's real real star quality for the future. Yeah I think what was what was really interesting about that race in Bahrain where he did so well in the Sakir Grand Prix was that there was so much risk riding on it for Russell as well. If he comes in, okay, it's a one-off opportunity. Although I think, you know, I, I spoke to him um, at the very end of the season, just after we'd all come back from Abu Dhabi and he's sort of explaining that it had been approached to him that this would be a two-race deal. They Everybody sort of expected Hamilton not to be able to recover from COVID-19 in, in quite so rapidly because uh, nothing's guaranteed just because of the the way the, the, you know, the horrible virus works and also, you know, various logistical hurdles to get over to get, get into Abu Dhabi. I mean, it was so, it was so very well regimented there. Um, it basically was like, right, okay, turn up in Bahrain, treat it almost as a practice run, do the best you can. And then the real, real test is Abu Dhabi. But had he come into Bahrain and Bottas had beaten him by half a second to pole had beaten him by 30 seconds in the race really does a lot of damage to his claim for a 2022 race seat. You know, both him and Bottas and Mercedes themselves are like, no, 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 it's not a shootout. We're not, you know, we make it on a, on a one-off basis, but it's the court of public opinion. You know, it's the classic cliche. You're only as good as your last race. And that, you know, as it was, it was excellent to see Lewis Hamilton recover as quickly as he did, but it did mean that there wasn't another opportunity to see what Russell could do against Bottas. So, the memory will always be of him leading the race, putting that pass in. Okay, yeah, Bottas on much older tires, but still had to make the move stick. And he did, having having had some serious question marks over his sort of his ability to race wheel to wheel in Formula One at the start of the season. We saw a few errors early on. And it was interesting, Kev, you and I, I can remember discussing uh, is it is it ever going to work out for George Russell? Because he missed that opportunity to get a point, although it wasn't sort of points on the road in Germany in 2019 when he slipped off and it went to Kibitza. Then there was Mugello where he was in the points and running very, very well. And then the start went badly. And I personally think that was a bigger opportunity to score than Imola. But Imola was the more high profile mistake because crashing behind a safety car is is the ultimate embarrassing gaffe, really. Um, but yeah, how, how impressed were you by what Russell showed that race for Mercedes, but also how did it tie into his overall story? 
I had after Imola, I think it was, I had a chat with um, with Derek Warwick, who's a big supporter and uh, a fan of British drivers behind the scenes, does an incredible amount of work, big fan of George. And I sort of, I said to him, you know, Gee, what, what, what do you reckon? How good a job is George doing? Because with all due respect to Robert Kubica and Nicholas Latifi, they're not going to, you know, spec two Kubica and Latifi are not drivers that you're going to be talking about as winning world championships and, and lots of races in Formula One. So, you know, he's he's the bar is kind of not really there and the car certainly in the first year wasn't good enough for him to do anything else. Um and he said, no, he's absolutely yeah, he's absolutely on it, you'll see. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right, but I just like to kind of like to see it in a different context. And then lo, lo and behold, here it comes. And qualifying went basically as I kind of thought it would, which was he just didn't quite beat Bottas. But the race, he's very quick. He's very, very quick. Oh, yeah, anyway, sorry. yeah, but Bottas is a yeah. You know, he's within. He, yeah, you know, he's within a tenth of Hamilton, isn't he? So, you know, um, very, very good racing driver. So, but but it was the way that he dealt with the pressure in the in the race. Really, you know, one of the worst starters in Formula One, and he gets it off the line, gets into the lead, and really, he looks like he was. Yeah, you know, it's a, a bit of a cliche, but it looks like he was sort of born to run at the front. He you know he knows how to win races. We shouldn't really be surprised. He's won it in all lots of other categories. But I think the other uh, the other thing that impresses me about George is just his overall attitude and approach to things. I'm fortunate enough to be a, a, a you know a judge on the you know the, the Young Driver Award, which when he won it in 2014 uh, was the McLaren Autosport BRDC Award, and he was 16. And he, but he, 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 he would talk to you like he was, a, you know, not quite a veteran, but so mature, level-headed. There was no excitement and nonsense. It was all just, yeah, I got that right. No, nah, I should have done that better. Well, I'm pretty pleased with it. Yeah, it was all just, everything was calm. And it's a very high-pressured environment for the drivers over those two days at Silverstone. They're jumping into three different cars that they've not had any experience of. They're all at least twice as powerful as anything they've driven up to that point in their careers. And there's a lot of money in a F1 test drive riding on it. So it does get to some drivers, some very good drivers it gets to. And he was just he was just sort of breezed through it, really. Uh, funnily enough, Norris won it two years later and won it in quite a different style. He won it by, he was just quicker than everyone in almost every session. Um, Russell had a, probably a bit more competition, but his just overall attitude and approach just really stood out. And he's maintained that all the way through to F1. Well, yeah, let's let's come on to talk about Lando Norris. As you say, Kev, uh, another another uh, Autosport Young Driver Award winner, though, of course, when it was sponsored by McLaren, it's sponsored by Aston Martin these days. Um, what did you include about Norris's 2020 season and also what he's done in Formula One so far for for the feature? Because he had quite a, an interesting season last year in that, you know, he obviously was a sensational rookie in 2019, showed very, very well against Carlos Sainz Jr., showed very well against him last year. But it was sort of a, a more up and down campaign, not necessarily always because of anything he was doing. There were, there were you know, uh, mechanical retirements. There were incidents, you know, that, that clash with Lance Stroll in Portugal. And then there were a few bad starts and, and little things that didn't seem to be going his way. But nevertheless, he got a podium. And I just, I just looking back and, and reading your piece, I, I, I'd almost forgotten, even though it only happened a few weeks ago, just how good he was in Abu Dhabi. It was absolutely sensational and on it. And, and that really was, everyone was like, oh, you know, Verstappen wins the race for Red Bull. Is that a sign of things to come? I think, I think Lewis Hamilton's right. What a sign that potentially could be for McLaren. Okay. That might be getting a little bit over the top, but it was, it was brilliant. Anyway, sorry. Your chance to explain your piece before I get carried away. No, you're right. I mean, you are right. It was, I think when we all saw Norris pop up fourth, 
two tenths off pole position. We all kind of went, hang on a minute, what's happened here? Because it was a, a sensational lap from him and a great performance. And I think that it does sort of point towards the trajectory McLaren have been on in the past sort of few years. So they've banished the sort of demons of the Honda era that it's all very, everything's going in the right direction now. And I think that's what I sort of looked at with Lando is that he he's in the right place, although he's not going to be in what we're, one currently considered to be a top drive, such as at Mercedes or Ferrari or Red Bull, perhaps in, in years to come, that the way McLaren is moving, that if he is their lead driver for the future, if he's part of what their future is going to be, then that's actually a really great spot to be. And we've got them getting the uh, Mercedes power units from next season. Lando himself said it's just an all-round better package, so that should offer a good step in performance. And we've got the uh, investment in the team that was announced in Abu Dhabi as well. So again, it's all coming together. They're building a new wind tunnel and just all the building blocks are really really nicely in place I think for McLaren to be a real force in the future and I think Lando has been he, he can be a really big part of that and I think that this season he he sort of avoided the I guess the sort of second season syndrome and, and when I spoke to him about this I put it in terms of a, a music artist that a lot of them will have an amazing debut album then the second album's a bit naff and you're like oh they're not actually that good after all and it's kind of the same with F1 drivers. You think about those who've come in. I mean, Pierre Gasly's one, for example. His first full season at Toro Rosso was fantastic. And then he stepped up to Red Bull and it just all fell apart. And But Lando, despite himself, he's spoken about sort of the mental challenges and struggles he's faced in F1 in the past. He was able to really manage everything and put in such a, a really, really sort of strong season. And as you say, there were sort of moments where he let himself down at the start. I think Turkey's probably the, the big, biggest, biggest example that whole weekend. But he, um, he, he was brilliant. And I, I think two particular things sort of stood out for me. Um, one was the last lap antics in both of the Austria races, because that was really superb. And the video of him getting that podium for the Styrian Grand Prix, where he's being coached around the lap, being like, right, push here, this mode there and everything. But for him to execute that and make up a two-second gap to Lewis Hamilton in that time, so that with the time penalty allowed and added, he got the podium. That was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. And he did a similar thing a week later at the Styrian Grand Prix, passing three cars in the final two laps. And it was just really, it's that really sort of nice, punchy fighting spirit that a lot of drivers don't have. And again, I kind of think of Gasly, a Red Bull uh, in 2019. He just didn't didn't have the sort of the gumption or the aggressiveness to get past these drivers. Whereas Lando, it's his second season, but he's able to do that pretty comfortably. And then um, in Turkey again, when he had, okay, he had the, the bad start, but he was really, really thought about managing his tires. And towards the end, he was like, right, if I really wear these down and push these down, I don't need to think about coming in for slicks because I can make them a set of, I think slicks immediates was, was the wording I used, but get them as bored as possible. And then his fastest lap at the end was nearly two seconds quicker than anything anyone else did all race. So I think it's just little things like that. It's really clever race management. And it's that, that's size of Lando that I think has really, really impressed me through his first two seasons. And I think that while maybe he's not in a top line team now, and really McLaren is probably going to be the ceiling in terms of what team he's going to be at in the next sort of four to five year period. I think the way that McLaren are moving, that is a really, really good spot to be. And I think if he can also learn from Daniel Ricciardo over the next season or two and like match up against Ricardo, that's going to be fascinating because I think he can just only add sort of the growing uh, growing abilities he has. So it's a really exciting time for Lando, I think. Absolutely, um, and that's something I wanted to to touch upon uh, there, Luke. Um, Kev, do you do you, would you would you agree that maybe just on the face of it, thinking it that going into twenty twenty one, Norris of the three drivers that we've highlighted arguably has 
the most difficult job because he's going up against a very highly rated new teammate. He's been at the team for two years now. Okay, you know, he's got a lot, lot less experience overall in Formula One, but Russell's still going to be with Williams. He's going to be racing against Nicholas Latifi again. All he's got to do is continue on his path of grabbing what result he can with a car that, okay, they're hoping to make a bit of progress and they are still going to be developing going into 2021 before switching to the 2022 car. But that's the sort of package he's been dealing with the whole time. Science is going to Ferrari, which we know is is a very difficult situation, even when things are going well, but he will nevertheless be arriving as the the newcomer rather than the incumbent. So you could sort of almost say, okay, well, well Leclerc's going to have experience on him and things like that. But we'll come to talk about science in a bit more depth in a minute. But Norris, it's it's not I'm not necessarily saying it's his team, but it's, you know, he's it's going to be if if Ricardo comes in and blows him out of the water, it's going to be difficult. I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen, but what do you think about that situation? Yeah, no, that is a good question. I was sort of pondering that. I mean, I think if I had to choose which of their positions I'd be in, I wouldn't want to be the guy going to Ferrari while it's in a state of mid shambles. Um, but yes, yeah, so I take your point that that, that that science will probably be given a little bit more of a of a of a buy, if you like, than than perhaps Lando. But the thing I really like, one of the things I really like about him is that he's he he doesn't get high on his own supply. You know, this is a guy that's not really had any budget problems throughout his career you know he's always been well supported well funded and has got stick from other drivers a lot for that but he's delivered at every every level and there was a really sort of touching moment when he won the award which the other three finalists or the other finalists that year have been trying to get under his skin about that and he'd just been sort of batting it off and then when he won I had to I was the lucky person to escort him out of the room so that the 1200 other people in the room could start drinking because he was underage and they wouldn't open the bar so I had to try and get him through all the well-wishers and away so that they could actually, everyone else could have their evening. And so we went and sat in the lobby of the hotel and he, he, he was really quite emotional about it. He said, oh, it means so much to be uh, sort of acknowledged by people that aren't just around me all the time. You know, I, I'm worried that I'm, I've got lots of people supporting me, but are they just telling me what I, that I want to hear? Or, you know, this makes me feel like I've, I've you know, I've got something. And I thought that was quite, quite telling that, he was immune to some people. If you just tell them they're brilliant all the time, eventually they just believe it and they become impossible. And he never has. And he's always, uh, I think, been quite self-critical about the mistakes that he's made and always wants to learn. So I think if Ricciardo comes, I think Danny Ricciardo is the, probably the best driver on the grid who isn't, I mean, he isn't a world champion in terms of it, the established drivers and might not get another chance. Depends where McLaren goes, as, as Luke says. You know, he's very, very good. I'd probably choose him over Bottas, and I think Bottas is very good. So that's a that's a really tough ask. But I think Lando's probably got enough about him that he'll learn from Ricardo. Ricardo doesn't strike me as a political player. He just goes out and drives the car fast, and I think Lando will appreciate it. And he has such a good relationship with science. I can kind of see that another kind of nice relationship where they're, they're going to be an absolute hoot together, I think. I think McLaren will be a very nice, fun place to be this year uh, if the car is any way competitive, which the chassis was pretty good. Now it's going to have a Merc bolt in the back of it. I wouldn't put it past either of them to put out a couple of rather interesting results. Yeah, judging by all the clips on Twitter and TikTok of uh, Ricardo and Norris having hijinks, even when they're not in the same team, I think that should be should be quite amusing. But uh, yeah, I, I like little stories like that, Kev, about what you said about Norris, what he said after the award. I think that, I, I personally find that really, really interesting that you, you get you know to, to to hear what what these athletes and these really successful people think and, and what they do. And I think that's that's one of the things that I personally am so interested in Formula One. It's the it's the human stories over 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 other things. And um, but let's move on to our final uh, selection, Luke. As I said, the very uh, wonderfully designed 
and uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. in the magazine in terms of the way he's, he's presented becoming a Ferrari driver. Um, yeah, what, what have you got to say about about Sainz? Because it's interesting. He's he's slightly older than the other two. He's been around for a while, but he's had a he's had a really varied Formula One story coming in with with Red Bull at Toro Rosso. Obviously, you know, not the the, the favoured driver as it were with Verstappen getting up he nearly ends up out of formula one and then you know he's rescued by mclaren when things uh you know when ricardo was signed to go to renault and he's got a massive chance with ferrari that obviously really really likes what he sees and he, he is a brilliant driver he was very very unlucky on so many occasions last year you think of that tire failure at silverstone not being able to start at spa and so many other times it sort of you know he, he lost big results but i i also you know you talk about norris's drive at turkey i i picked science's drive as, as one of his best of the season for me at that same race because of the way he did, you know, Leclerc and uh, got the headlines for coming through and nearly being on the podium. Science was just behind that fight for the podium places. I thought that was absolutely terrific. But uh, but yeah, what, what what are we thinking about Science when it comes to potentially succeeding Lewis Hamilton at the top of Formula One? Well, yeah, it is performances such as that. I think that we've really seen from Science in the past two years, particularly. And as you say, he was, I mean, in 2018, he wasn't a first choice for anyone. Red Bull didn't want him. Renault didn't want him. McLaren, I their preference was a Fernando and Lando lineup going into 19 before Alonso um, called it quits. So it was a it, w- it was a really difficult period for him. But he got given that McLaren seat on a two year deal, and he's always spoken so much about the stability that that multi year deal gave him. That he wasn't in the in a race where he was like, okay, well, this might be my last race, given the cutthroat nature of the Red Bull program or anything like that. And and Zach Brown told a really nice story um, in Abu Dhabi actually about how after Science's first qualifying where he not got knocked out in Q1. Uh, in Australia 2019 after coming across I think Kibitza had a puncture or something and that ruined his lap and Brown went to him and he was like like don't worry man you're awesome you've got this you'll bounce back and science turned around and said no one ever says that to me like no one's given me that support or anything and I think that's what McLaren has given him over the past two years and he's flourished because of that and I think that has brought out the best of him as we saw right the way through uh, 2019 he led them to fourth in the Constructors Championship and then this year again he had a number of outstanding performances and I think I started um, the segment on science saying that if it had been a few more laps at Monza he probably would have passed Pierre Gasly and won that race because he lost a chunk of time when he was reset to sixth and um, had to pick off the Alfa Romeos that were out of position and, and everything like that. That meant by the time he got back to P2, Gasly was well up the road. And But that was also a weekend where actually Science would probably have finished second anyway behind Lewis Hamilton had we not had the red flag and everything just because of how quick he was. So it's, it's performances like that that have been just so outstanding and that, that have really made it that's why Ferrari wanted him. That's why they looked at what was going on with Vettel and said, it's just not working. Let's let's go with science for the future. And again, he's got a two-year deal at Ferrari. And ultimately, we know that team is being built around Charles Leclerc. That, that, that we can't deny. And Leclerc is the more likely of those drivers to, to become a world champion. But science, he's never, he's never gone into a team being like, okay, I'm going to play second fiddle or anything like that. I mean, we know with uh, Verstappen at, at Toro Rosso, that he really, really ran Max close. And there was a little bit of tension growing between the two of them uh, that was ultimately relieved when Max got pulled up to Red Bulls. So I don't think science is absolutely going to roll over for Leclerc whatsoever. And I think that he's going, I mean, Kev, you said, I think you put it very kindly when you said Ferrari was mid shambles, because I think that that rather is a rather generous how 2020 was, but they're coming into 2021. It's going to be, I mean, it can't be as bad as, as last year. The power unit is going to have, have an update and the carryover of the car. I mean, ultimately that's going to mean they can't sort of rectify all the issues overnight or anything, but they are sort of thinking, let's at least take a decent step forward. But then, 
and this is something that Carlos spoke about, was the the resources that Ferrari has and its ability to always bounce back and eventually find the right way means that come 2022, when we have the new regulations, actually things are looking quite good. Like It's a good spot to be. And he said he found it pretty annoying when he had all the people ask him saying, oh, well, do you regret that move or anything like that? Because it, it is the dream move that F1 drivers want. I think everyone does dream one day of wearing those, those red colours. So I think that... Yeah, he's going into a team where he's maybe not going to be the number one, but he's also not going to, I don't think he's going to flounder at all. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to really try and challenge Leclerc and I think he can be a good match for him. And I think that it's going to be the ultimate test for him. I think that it is, as we said, Leclerc is already established as being one of the possible heirs to Hamilton's throne. And I think for science, this is a chance for him to say, well, can you can you match the likes of Max and Charles? Are you up there with them? And I'm I'm really fascinated. Six, I think that his performances in the past couple of seasons, he's uh, really really proven himself to be one of uh, F1's top drivers. Kev, do you think that Science is in a position where he's got to show what he can do very very quickly at Ferrari? He's in a very tough situation because there's going to be hardly any testing. He's only going to have a day and a half in what a car that essentially Charles Leclerc will know very very well from 2020. Um, but as we point out elsewhere in this in this issue of Autosport magazine, Ferrari have got a lot of drivers on its books coming up behind you know the the, the works guys. You've got Mick Schumacher at Haas, and you've got Callum Eilert is going to be the test driver, reserve driver, uh, probably although it's not sort of it's not officially named as that in the announcement that Ferrari made. And then Robert Schwartzman will more more than likely be the favourite going into to F two in twenty twenty one. So. Could you? Is there not a little bit of concern for science already? I mean, this is pure speculation. It's the off season; we're allowed to do such things. Um, that Ferrari takes two years to get back to the position of being able to challenge for the world title, and by that point, Leclerc has blown him away, and there'll be clamours for for somebody else to come and replace him. I, I mean, I I don't see that happening. I don't. I'm not yet. Do I, to be fair, any though, of those young drivers coming through underneath in the Ferrari Academy are actually quite good enough. I mean, I could be proved wrong. Yeah, Mick Schumacher could go and win seven world titles like his dad and I'd look like a fool. But I think I think the science will be close enough. And I think he also, because you're, they won't have a front-running car, you can kind of always get away with things a little bit more in the midfield. If, you've had, if you have an odd, apart from with your own driver ratings, Alex, where you dig into every single driver, I think in the kind of the wider world, you can get away with the odd bad start or bad bad first lap or things like that being a slip bit off the yeah the gap between fifth and sixth on the grid or seventh and ninth on the grid is not the same as first and second or first and third it's so obvious and if you if you mess up the start off the front row it looks terrible whereas if you do the same thing from 10th nobody really notices it'd be the 15th replay before someone spots it sort of thing so i think he'll probably yeah i think he'll probably be fine i think he won't need much time to get up to speed I think you're only the number one as long as you're the quickest. You know, we saw that with you know, Nelson Piquet and Nigel Mansell was probably the most famous example at Williams. It only takes the, the stopwatch to switch around the contract if you're if you're number number two is quicker than number one. I don't think that will happen because I think Leclerc's too good. But I, I agree with Luke. With I think he'll give Leclerc some hard times because he did with Verstappen. So I think the interesting thing with Sainz, a bit different to, to Lando and George, is he actually had quite an up and down road to F1 as well. Yeah, Russell and Norris have kind of pretty much delivered at every stage uh, on the way up and, you know, kind of had them earmarked for F1 early on. Science had some good moments, but some moments where he thought, well, maybe he's not actually quite all that. Uh, and again, he's also had an up and down time in F1, although I think that's not so much his own fault. 
I think probably getting too close to Verstappen and then losing that particular intra Red Bull fight was probably the the problem there. But he has he's got there. It's where you end up, not how you get there, isn't it? In that in that regard, and he is one of the best drivers uh, in F1 and deserves a shot at a big team. Indeed, and I think as you mentioned driver ratings there, uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. As long as he doesn't have regular spins in the pack and fail to make Q two on about twelve occasions, as Sebastian Vettel did, he. Uh, can escape uh, the, the similar scoring that Vettel was getting, but of course, late- podcast, isn't it? The uh, trials and populations of Sebastian Vettel, yeah. Well, indeed, maybe we'll look forward to that in the coming weeks when we see the uh, the full livery and all the lineup and all the big changes and excitement coming for the Aston Martin team being announced. Well, guys, I thought we'd just end on you know a little bit of a little bit of a choice in terms of who we think of those three is the most likely to become Lewis Hamilton's heir. Now, I'm afraid for both of you, I've already suggested who I think it's going to be because of the nature of his situation with his Mercedes contract. It's got to be George Russell. But Luke, if you had to pick one of the three to go on to win 95 Grand Prix and seven miles up, no, just, just one of the three to go on to really succeed Hamilton as sort of the, the preeminent force, who would you pick? I think it has to be George Russell. Yeah, I think that just the position he is in, and I think that it, it takes one race, it takes one event for everything to change. And I think that that race in Sakir really did prove what he can do for the future and I think I think Lando and Carlos as as we've said are fantastic drivers but I just think the way the stars are aligning for George I think the fact that he had that performance he showed he can outpace Bottas the fact that he's out of contract at the end of this year Bottas is out of contract at the end of this year I just feel that things are moving George Russell's way so I think that yeah I think if anyone's going to be the real the real heir to Hamilton's throne I think George Russell's the man well I really want to be interesting and say something different to you guys I, I I agree. Um, I think he's. I think the question mark is: Does he replace Bottas uh, and go up against Lewis Hamilton? Well, learn from him to start with, and then go up against him. Or is he there for if Lewis decides after twenty twenty one and his eighth world title and his hundred and fifth Grand Prix victory or whatever it is that actually I'd really rather like to go and do something else? And then you've got a then you've got a Russell Bottas lineup, and Bottas can finish second to a different British driver in the World Championship. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's George all the way. Well, a unanimous decision there. Although I think that is that is that's more to do with the the circumstances that Russell's in and the sort of the nature of Formula One. In that, you know, it's not the fact that they're all in equal machinery, all with equal chances, just because of the the, the very nature of the beast. And you've got to go with that. You've got to go with that logic in that. Yeah, he's in a position where you would think logically he would end up in a Mercedes and there's no reason to suspect that they will lose their position even going into 2022. Although, you know, there are massive changes with those designs. It is possible as we, as we know, we've seen all the big eras come to an end. It's just that Mercedes weren't toppled in 2017 when it was the previous big design change. So that remains for the future. It's always nice to have a little think and a bit of guesswork and, uh, you know, just, just enjoy what we can about, about Formula One, particularly during the off-season and a difficult one as it is for everyone. Uh, well, elsewhere in this issue of Autosport magazine, uh, Luke, you've written a review of the 2020 Formula Two season. It was uh, it was a really interesting campaign. I mean, it had all the sort of struggles that Formula One had when it came to organising a calendar and what was going to happen. And no one seemed to really have a whole lot of momentum the whole way through, but Mick Schumacher did eventually emerge as the champion. So yeah, what what, what have you put in your review? I know Mick was on all sorts of uh, media calls towards the end of the season after his Haas deal was announced. How is he feeling about winning the championship and looking forward to Formula One? Yeah, massively excited, obviously. And I think that he 
he cited his consistency as just being the, what the key to his success this year was. And I think that that was very true. And it was it was nice sort of looking back on what was actually a really good F2 season. And you had so many good drivers sort of fighting for that championship, but none of them could quite string everything together in, in the same way that, that Mick did. And you look at uh, Callum Eilert, he was rapid on occasion, took five pole positions, whereas I think Mick's average qualifying position was, I think I worked out to be seventh. So didn't quite have as much uh, good form as Callum did in terms of qualifying. But then Callum just made too many errors here and there, really, and he just didn't quite have enough uh, to beat Mick in the title race. Yuki Tsunoda, again, he was very, very strong. If you took away all of the sprint races and only had the feature races counting for points, Tsunoda actually wins the title. So he was very, very good. Uh, Robert Schwartzman, we spoke about, I think he's exciting for the future. He was again up there as well, but none of them quite had the same consistency that Mick did. So I think that that was really the key to his success this year. And he's just really excited for what he can do in F1 next season. And he knows that he's going into a Haas team that has struggled for the past couple of years, that is very much going into transition year, that they just want to look ahead to 2022. He's on a multi-year deal, but... And it's something that I touched on that in every single category he's been in, it's always been his second season where he's made this massive step up and learned so much and really, really improved. So I think that if that ties in with Haas also making the same kind of step, I think, uh, yeah, 2022 could be really exciting for Mick. But seeing the Schumacher name back in F1 this year, I think is, uh, yeah, hugely exciting. Um, Kev, what else should the listeners go and check out in Autosport magazine this week, apart from my excellent column on page 15? Well, yeah, I don't want to give the impression that Luke wrote the entire magazine, although it does add up to quite a few pages. But, um, yeah, we've also, um, Mark Simmons has had a look at the F3, F3 season as well. Which, can I just say, just can I interrupt you very quickly, has a superb headline. I imagine it may well have been uh, Marcus himself that's put that one forward. But anyway. It was was indeed a Marcus Simmons special, yes. So, uh, (laughs) yes, we've got a a review of the F3 um, uh, season last year. Uh, we also, this could be good reading for Alex Albon. We've got um, a, a chat with Mark Alamamuller, who obviously fell out uh, fell out of the Red Bull program and, and has made himself a Porsche ace. Although, of course, Albon, I realise, is still still in the Red Bull family in the, in the DTM. Um, James Newbold has uh, written an excellent piece about the um, the extreme E rule, where you have to have one uh, one male, one female driver. That's uh, was a good piece that he just magics out of nowhere. Like some of these uh, some of these pieces happen. Um, and because obviously, you know, I, I like something old. I've gone really old this time. Uh, it's a hundred years since Jimmy Murphy and Duesenberg came over and won the French Grand Prix, which in those days was the only Grand Prix in the season, uh, pretty much. It was the big event of the year. Uh, and it was a rare case of the Americans coming over to Europe and winning rather than the other way around. So we've got a, a piece by Paul Fernley on, on his, his remarkable career. It was one of those pieces that, uh, where I learned a lot as well. So that was fun. Um, and yeah, the, obviously we've got the usual national section. Ben Anderson has driven the latest Radical. We always try and get him in a car when we can. Uh, and uh, we've also launched a new a, a new idea, which is going to appear on allsport.com uh, and in the magazine, which is In Defence Of, where staffers uh, pick something to defend. And uh, James Newbold has kicked us off with uh, In Defence Of Luca Badoa, the much maligned Badoa who has the lowest driver rating score for all sport of all time. Uh, His two scores for Ferrari were half and one. So see if you can beat that in 2021, Alex, with somebody. I can't see anyone doing that. We've started a new series, which I think could be quite good fun and probably a little bit controversial at times as well. It's even things where we've disagreed on it. So um, that could be quite good. 
I mean, that alarms me a little bit because it sounds like the the people back in 2009 were, were very, very harsh in their scoring. Although I do remember reading when I was reading up for something I wrote in the, the original spring coronavirus lockdown in the UK about the 2012 Valencia Grand Prix and John Eric Verne managed to score a zero. So maybe I just need to... To need to get the elbows out a bit more and really, really, really let rip. It's always, it is always tricky, isn't it? I don't envy your um, driver racing thing. It's the sort of thing where um, everyone else can always be clever after the event and go, oh, was he even watching the same race? But, you know, when you at the end of the year, when you do the averages, your ratings are always within a point of all the readers' averages. So that's never far off, is it? Exactly, exactly. And and as we always say, it comes together from the uh, from the criteria that we've got that were put together by Ben Anderson and Ed Straw, my predecessors as Grand Prix editor. So that's how that comes together. But anyway, there's uh, no drive ratings in this magazine because there's no Grand Prix. Um, but it is a very excellent issue. We urge you to go out and buy it. And uh, as I'll be explaining shortly in my always very well rehearsed and delivered um, uh, sort of, what's, what's the word, the sort of exit to the podcast. I couldn't think of the word to go with that. Um, we'll be explaining where you can pick up your copy. But anyway, I should just say thank you very much, Luke and Kev, for coming on the podcast today. And of course, thanks to everybody listening along. Now, just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and it's available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis, and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash bus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport Podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.